What an awesome thing God has done to provide an executive pastor here at Next Level Church um, in the form of Scott Drummond. He's just a phenomenal guy. He's taking over the vision and leadership of all of our connection group ministries and, and laying the foundation for some amazing, amazing cutting-edge things there in the months that, that lay ahead. Uh, Scott and his wife, Kirsten, were senior pastors of a church in Columbus, Ohio for 11 years. And they caught the vision of Next Level Church and what God's doing here and resigned their position just a few months ago to come and join the staff of Next Level. And I know some of you have asked the question, what exactly does an executive pastor do? Well, part of what we're so glad that Scott has the ability to do is he has the ability with obviously 11 years of teaching and preaching experience to come alongside of me as it relates to the communication of the teaching of the Word. So from time to time, we're going to be so absolutely blessed that Scott, an accomplished communicator of the Word of God, is going to be able to come and stand on this platform and minister and speak into our hearts and lives. So today we're launching a brand new series, and Scott's coming to uh, open up the Word with us. So let's put our hands together for our executive pastor, Scott Dermer. All right. How are we doing next level? We're almost the, oh. Are we ready? The goal of that was to create anticipation. This morning we are starting a brand new series called Matchbox. Um, the whole premise of the, of the series is when powerful elements collide. Um, there's a picture of some matches up there. I've got some up here. Now, I don't know if you are a science student or a chemistry student. I know that I never was, never cared to be. I know a couple of things um, through my extended amount of research with me and Mr. Google, and that is contained in this wonderful little piece of wood chip is red phosphorus, powdered glass, antimony sulfide, and potassium chloride. And the significant thing is, even though I have not a clue in the world what those all mean, what they accomplish, I know when you put them together in this little package, it can do something incredible. It can create... It can create... Fire. That's like you've never seen a guy light a match before. And it's, it's the thing, though, of... Ever since human history, we've been trying to find an easy way to make fire. But when the right elements are in the right places at the right time, under the right circumstance, and have the ability to intertwine and collide, they can all of a sudden do some pretty incredible things. And so over the course of the next five weeks, we are going to talk about some of these things. In fact, next week, um, Pastor Matt's going to be back and talk about when man and God collide. After that, it's going to be when, when powerful partnerships collide. When crisis and God collide, and then the last one is when money and God collide. And so we've got some great things ahead over the course of the next five weeks. But I want to focus in this morning, um, I'm talking about the perfect match, when opportunity and provision collide. Here's the theme of the whole thing, is there are times in our life when your path is crossed with an opportunity to meet a need. And sometimes we don't even see them anymore. We don't, we don't see the guy with the cardboard sign on the street corner anymore. We don't see the single parent that does three jobs to provide for her kids. We just don't see it anymore because sometimes we've just seen so much and 
We just don't want to see it anymore. I remember when I was in college, I had one of those summer jobs, and I came home. I went to school out in Tulsa, so I came home to Columbus, Ohio, and there was a guy in the church that owned a masonry uh, restoration business. In other words, he fixed brick buildings. And he said, you need a job? And I said, I need a job. And he said, let me, let me put you to work. And I remember the first day, we go to this school building, which is all red brick building. It's probably 30 feet tall. And I'm standing next to him, and he's looking up at the brick building, and he says, all right, this is what we need to do. We need to, we need to fix the mortar. And there's a spot there, and 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 a spot there. Can you, we, this is what we're going to hit today. And I'm standing there looking at this wall kind of like this. I don't see it. He's like, it's right there. It's right, can't you see? It's, there's, there's cracking over there, and, 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 and the mortar's pulled away there, and through time it's worn away there. And I didn't see it. All I saw was what? A brick building. And he was saying, you know what? You need to quit looking at the bricks, and you need to start looking at the mortar between the bricks. Because I had never done that before. And over the course of the next few weeks of my life, is working with him, and every single day you start to train your eye. You don't look at the bricks. You look at the mortar between the bricks. And now to this day, it's weird because I can walk up to any brick building and without even thinking about it, I can find all the spots that need fixed. Because I'm not looking at bricks anymore. I'm starting to see things that I never saw before. I've trained myself to see things that most people will just walk on by and say brick building. And I can say, that's something that needs help. It needs repair. And I think there's a lot of opportunities in our life that we just don't see. It's like the mortar between the bricks. It's just not there. We've never allowed ourselves or trained ourselves to see some of those things that need help and need addressed. But I believe that when we start to see these opportunities, we may begin to see that God may be taking our life on a direct path to bring our time, our talent, our money, our gifting, and our resources to collide with an opportunity that quite possibly may change a life, a family, a church, a city, or even the world. But when we start to see these opportunities, it's not even so much about God speaking to you to do them. I think it has so much more to do with you just doing the next right thing. So often in church circles, we talk about hear the voice of God and hear the voice of God and you want to follow God and you want to be in His will. And, and I'm not minimizing that at all, but I believe that there are so many things that he wants us to do that are already there, that are opportunities he has created, and it's not about him speaking anymore. It's just about us, you and me, doing the next right thing. And the Bible's got some pretty amazing stories about this kind of thing. Um, let me take you back in time, probably about 4,000 years by now. And there is a figure by the name of Nehemiah. I don't know if you remember Nehemiah, but Nehemiah, um, he was part of nation Israel. And at this time, they were overcome and they were dispersed all throughout uh, the Middle East at this time. And Nehemiah heard a story. He heard a story that his city of Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of God and nation Israel, it is the central focus uh, of what God is doing. He heard that Jerusalem was in ruins and the walls were torn down. And I want you to catch the story. God didn't speak, but Nehemiah's heart broke. And so what did Nehemiah do? He did the next right thing. And he went back to Jerusalem and he rebuilt the walls. There's another story that precedes that one by the name of David. He became one of the greatest kings in all of history. You may have heard the story of David and Goliath. Um, the story of David and Goliath is pretty cool because David, teenage boy, he, was, he did not set out that day to go face Goliath. You know what he was set out to do that day? To deliver his older brother's lunch. 
pretty glamorous job. I mean, it's the kind of thing, folks, catch this, you know, what do you do? I tend sheep. Older brothers, they're more important. They're stronger than I am. They can accomplish more. They're in the army. And mom says, Davy, come here. I packed some sandwiches for your brothers. I want you to go and, and take them the sandwiches. Mom, don't make me take the sandwiches my brothers. Davy, go take sandwiches with your brothers. And so here's David, teenage boy. He goes to find his brothers to deliver lunch and comes across one of the greatest opportunities, one of the greatest battles, one of the greatest epic stories. And that is he sees the soldiers of nation Israel facing a single giant in Goliath. God never spoke to David. But what did David do? He saw an opportunity and he did the next right thing. And I think it's amazing that when we see the opportunities and we start to do the next right thing, God intertwines his miracle working power to accomplish things that we shouldn't be able to accomplish. But this morning I want us to focus in on a story. It's not about David, it's not about Nehemiah, but it's actually about David's great-grandma named Ruth. And I don't know if you've ever gone through the story of Ruth in your Bible, and if you've brought your Bible, I'd absolutely love for you to turn with me. Uh, I think it's like the eighth book in the Old Testament, which means it's the first half of your Bible. It's only like four pages long, and so if you're kind of the flimp at point and try to find a kind of person, you might just miss it. But I want to talk about um, Ruth this morning. And if you want to get there, and I know we're going to have some verses up there, but it's this is one of the craziest starts to any story in all the scriptures. I want to read the first five verses with you. If you want to look at the screens or in your Bibles, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephraites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Here's a great opener. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. One named Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, and the other Ruth. And they had lived there about ten years. And then look at verse 5. Like things weren't bad enough. Both Malon and Kilon also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. What a depressing Bible story. I mean, get this right. Because we're we're introduced to Naomi here. She's really the main figure on the scene. Naomi's married to a husband, Elimelech, and they live in in Bethlehem area. They live in in modern-day Israel. And, like, things get bad enough because there's not enough food to sustain their family. So what do they do? Elimelech, as head of the home, he says, okay, we're going to move. We're going to move to Moab. We hear rumors of the fact that there's food over there, and we're going to go there. So we pick up our family, and we move away, and we start to have kids. We've got a happy family now, and, and we're adjusting to a new place and a new land, and we're learning a new language, and we're interacting with new people. And then what happens? Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. We don't know why. We don't know what caused it. He just dies. And she's a widow. She's lost her helpmate, her partner, her friend. But she's got her two sons. They get older. They get married. They die. What has she got? Her bloodline, gone. Her family, gone. Her support system, gone. Ripped from her. If ever we found someone in the scriptures that was disillusioned, it is Naomi. Someone that's overwhelmed. I mean, she has nothing anymore. 
In fact, she examines the situation and she looks at her two daughters-in-law and she says, Girls, you still have a life ahead of you. Leave. Go home. Find some other nice boy. Marry him. Have kids for me. I'm too old to start over. There's no hope for me anyway. And then Naomi draws a conclusion over her life. And I, I want you to track with this because you might be here today thinking the same thing. And this is, there's a couple of verses I want to read. The first is Ruth chapter 1, verse 13. And this is, this is Naomi describing how she feels about herself in reference to God. She says, it is more bitter for me than it is for you. She's talking to these girls. Because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And then fast forward to verse 20 and 21. Naomi says, call me Mara or cursed because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Wow. Here's this poor woman. She's got nothing. And her only conclusion is God is out to get her. I recognize that in a group this size, there's probably a very good percentage of us that on some level feel that your life and life circumstance is there because God is just playing a dirty trick on you. Didn't withhold something bad from you. And frankly, you're angry at God. And to you, I say that there is hope for this reason. Because just like God started to interact with Naomi with a greater plan because of an opportunity, so too, folks, I want you to carry hope with the fact that there is a God that sees your circumstance and is working to change things for your life. Let's go on with the story. Things go on a little here, and, and we've got the two daughters-in-law, and Naomi says, all right, girls, I want you to leave. Now, Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, she takes off. She's like, bye-bye. And then we got Ruth. Ruth is like, I'm not going anywhere. And Naomi's like, no, really? It's time for you to go. Just go back, go home. I'm going to make my way back to Bethlehem. I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to go there. I'm going to just try to exist, but I'm going to shrivel up and die at some point. Just go. And Ruth says, no, I'm, I'm going to come after you. And what we begin to do is we start to see a glimpse into who Ruth really is. Because what was transforming here was she was becoming the unlikely hero. She was the unlikely candidate. And what we see is, is a great glimpse into her through a quote that she says in verse 16 through verse 18. If you want to read along with me, it says, But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her to leave. Wow. Can you imagine having a friend that would say, here's the deal. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you live, I'm going to live. And the only thing that's going to separate us is death. I want to serve with you. I'm going to worship with you. You're just not going to get rid of me. And so we've got this amazing picture now of this girl named Ruth, the great-grandmother of David, that is the unlikely hero. And she's saying to Naomi, you need help, and I'm here to help. The opportunity presented itself. 
And even though it, it, on the outside it may have been one of those brick wall opportunities, you just don't see the more. It's just, hey, I'm sorry for your life, and I know it's going bad, but yeah, it's probably better if we, we part ways. Instead, Ruth identified the opportunity. She identified the powerful moment, and she responded to it by simply doing what? By doing the next right thing. And so what happens next is they go back to Bethlehem, and they, they try to find a semblance of home that but they don't have any way to work and they don't have any way to provide for themselves. And then we get into chapter 2 and we get an introduction of a new character into the story whose name is Boaz. And look at the first verse. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side um, from the clan of Elimelech and a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Now, this is just a brief introduction to Boaz, but what he is is he's a man of prominence. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of wealth. Um, He's a man of influence. He's just a good man. But we also derive from the story he's a little bit older. And so, I mean, but he's, he's become successful. And what happens next is Ruth gets the idea because uh, they know that Boaz has some fields and it's harvest time. And so she gets the idea of maybe I just need to, to go to the fields that they are harvesting right now on Boaz's land. And I can follow after all those other hired harvesters and I can just pick up whatever that they don't make, what they don't put into their baskets. I can, I can glean the field and from it I can either take and prepare food for myself and, and for Naomi or we can take it to the market and I can sell what little I have maybe to buy flour, to buy oil, something to make little cakes with or something. And so she goes into the field just with a heart to serve. She's got nothing else to offer. But she goes in with a heart to serve, a heart to to help Naomi because she's made the commitment. She saw the opportunity and she wants to make a difference. And that's exactly what she does. She goes into the field and she just starts to glean the field. And, And then this is what happens is Boaz comes on the scene and he walks over to his guys harvesting. He says, hey, guys. Who's she? And they're like, um, we think that that's... Uh, you remember Elimelech? Yeah, the guy we told you that died a long time ago. And his wife's Naomi. We think that's her daughter-in-law. And we kind of get an allusion to the story that Boaz thinks Ruth is... <laughs> She's an attractive girl. And it's the kind of thing, too, of, of deep down we also get from, from the text of... Boaz realizes he would never really have a chance with a girl that pretty. Kind of like me and my wife. But I saw an opportunity. And so what happens is Boaz says, hey, hey guys, all you harvesters, here's the deal. Leave a little extra for her to pick up. Don't like be real thorough with your job. Seriously. What boss ever comes to you and says, just be a little sloppy? (laughs) He's got intentions, but he's coming back to the fact of saying, you know, I'm older. She's probably not interested. But the thing is, is Ruth also recognizes that here's a great man in Boaz. He didn't have impure motives. He was there to help. He was helping take care of family. And so the next thing in the story that happens is that we've got Naomi and Ruth, and they sit down that night as they look over their little harvest, and they think, wow, God is really starting to take care of us, and we've got a blessing in Boaz. And then the the next conjured thought is, 
the next night, Ruth is to go and position herself at the feet of Boaz, which may sound kind of weird to you and me, but we've got to understand that in the time and the context, you could do things that were visual metaphors, that they would speak an entire concept in the way you would position or conduct yourself. And what would happen was that next night, Boaz, after a long day of harvesting, was crashed out on a pile of... of of the barley that he'd harvest. And I mean, he, the guy's asleep. And so Ruth sneaks in and she goes to his feet and she lays down at his feet. It's night. That's what we're pretending. Our goal here at Next Level is to create a very interactive service. So now, imagine with me, she's laying down at his feet. I mean, seriously, it's kind of an awkward thing. But what she is saying to Boaz is, I position myself at the, the most uh, vulnerable place, and I lay down before you and say, and, and the reality is, if a woman were to ever do this, she's saying, I basically give of my life to you. And there was no guarantee on how Boaz would respond. The story goes on. He's startled awake and he sees this woman at his feet. Just doesn't happen every day. And he's like, what's going on? And she's saying, I'm here. And I, whatever, whatever, I'm here. Because I need help. And he says, you know, wait a second. I know a relative. He's closer, related to you. I'm going to go ask him if he would like to redeem you. What it would mean for the time is that he would have the, the right, because of relationship, that he could marry Ruth. And deep down, I think Boaz is saying, I hope he says no. Because in the story, Boaz even says to Ruth, I'm going to go ask him because it's the right thing to do. But if he says no, this is the words he says, I will redeem you. I will take this circumstance, which is less than perfect, the circumstance where it looks like God dropped the ball, the circumstance that is full of disillusion and hurt people. He says, I will take this circumstance because of what I have the ability to do as a redeemer, as a person of influence, as a person of means, and I can change your life just like that. Boaz finds the nearest of relation. He says, hey, Ruth, you, what do you think? And the guy says, oh, no, can't. I'm already committed. Two women, not good. And so Boaz comes back and he says, Ruth, I will redeem you. And she marries him and they have a son. And all of a sudden, in one instantaneous moment, you have the restoration of entire family. And there's one last verse I want to read with you this morning. And that is um, chapter 4. Look at verse 14. It says, Then the women said to Naomi, Remember, our main character, our disillusion. Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. In other words, the disillusioned figure that we had at the very beginning has had a moment of complete restoration in her life. She goes from being a failure in her own eyes 
and worthless to being someone who is of value. And in the bigger picture of God, in this great epic story that he's already written, he's utilized her in this process of being the great, great grandmother of the greatest king in Israel. And so what does all this translate into for you and me? I think in this room we can divide us into three different groups. The first is, are you a Naomi? This isn't a man-woman question. Have you come in here today and you're hurting? You're disillusioned. You're angry at God. You honestly feel that he was out to get you. That he's he's withheld his hand from you. Because of what he's done or what he hasn't done, you've been hurt as a result. I want you to know this morning that you're not forgotten. And I believe that this morning is an intersection, it's an opportunity for you to begin to see that there is still an amazing God who loves you and has a plan to take care of you. I also recognize that if you've come in here today and you, you, you feel like the, the Naomi and you're lost and you just don't know what to do next, there might be a chance that you've come in here today and just this is a last-ditch effort for you. You just don't know where to turn next. And the first step for you may be simply this. Have you come to God? Have you come to Him and said, God, I need your help. I don't, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know where to go. I don't, I don't know how to live. And you've never invited God into your life to lead your life, to become the Lord of your life. If you've never done that, then I don't know any greater moment than right now. And I would believe with all my heart that this moment was created for you today. There's an intersection and there's an opportunity to do the next right thing. So you may be a Naomi in this room. Or maybe you might be a Ruth. You look at your own life and you look at your own life circumstance and you're saying, I don't have a whole lot of gifting. I don't have a whole lot to offer. I can't write a big check and I can't, I can't call the right person and I can't put you with the right contacts. I, I don't have much to give, but this is what I do have. I have a, a heart that's willing to serve. And if you're a Ruth figure this morning, then I challenge you that when you leave here today, just do the next right thing. If there's a way for you to help, then help. If there's a way for you to connect with someone that needs help and loved on, then do it. Because I believe that the God of the universe is writing a story over your life and my life to intersect us on that path that we could actually make a difference. So are you a Naomi? Are you a Ruth? Or maybe the third group this morning. Are you a Boaz? You're the person that has the ability with one check, one phone call, one contact, one open door, you can change someone's life. The struggle is, is for the Boazes in the room, we never think that things are exactly where they need to be. Well, when my portfolio is a little different or when my job schedule is a little different, we tend to write ourselves out of the opportunity. But you know what I think? I think this room is full of Boazes. People that if they can just start to see the opportunities, they can start to make a difference. And the thing about a Boaz, it doesn't even have to, it's not a sac, it doesn't even have to be a sacrifice for you. It's just about you doing the next right thing. It's like this block party we're having. Some of you have the ability to just underwrite the whole thing. Just done. It's, in the, in the big picture of your life, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, Hey, it's, it's some money and you could do something else with it, but it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to put a dent in 
what you do. And I'm saying maybe this whole thing anymore, it's not about God speak. It's just about let's do the next right thing. And maybe the God of the universe has planned that occasion and that opportunity that we can be involved in a great story of doing the next right thing. That we could recognize where provision and opportunity collide. I'm going to pray that this morning we can start to see the mortar between the bricks. And this is just a side note because it's just running around in my heart today. I think that some of you, before you make your way to your car today, are going to rub shoulders with someone that you can make a difference in their life. Keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open. And start to see what you normally wouldn't see. And I think what will happen next is you start to see God do something incredible. Let's pray. Father, author of all that we do and all that we are, I ask of you today that you would be with us and you would help. God, I pray for the Naomi's in the room, Lord, that you would show them they're not alone, that you love them and you care for them and you want the best for them and that they can know you and draw close to you, not out of fear, but out of security of knowing that you are working things out on their behalf. God, even for the person that is at that point of decision right now on whether they come to you and say, God, this is my life. I choose to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would connect with them in the way that I know that you know how. That they could know you today and that their life could be changed today. God, I pray for the Ruths in the room that you would just utilize that heart to serve. Open their eyes to see the opportunity that's laid in front of them that they can do the next right thing and then help them, Lord God, to commit their strength, all that they are, to that task, knowing, God, that you are using them just like you used Ruth to impact history and lives and to bring change that, that is all about you and all about your miracle-working power. And then finally, God, for the Boazes in the room, help us. Help us to identify that thing, that opportunity, that need. And then just to do the next right thing. Give us eyes to see the mortar between the bricks. Knowing, Lord God, that what you've done in this whole thing is you've brought together powerful elements to collide. We give you all the thanks and we give you all the praise today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.